invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings verse chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, we're on a new series we're starting today called Experiencing the Impossible. Now you can follow along in your bulletin or you can follow along on our app today and, uh, and take notes. But basically what we're doing is we're going to go through some Bible stories about how they experience God's power. Okay? And how we can experience God's power. You know, more than anything, I want us to not, you know, Christianity is not just about giving your life to the Lord and never talking to Him or never experiencing God. We should, as believers, experience God every single day. How many guys would agree? Amen? Amen. And so I want us to really to do that. And so throughout this, the rest of the summer, we're going to go through different um, just uh, people in the Bible, stories in the Bible that experience uh, the power of God. Because I want to see that happen in our church. Amen? Amen. I want to see healings and miracles happen just like it did in Jesus' day. Because Jesus said, these things you will do and even more and even greater things. And I want to see that happen, but not only in our church. I want to see it in this nation. And in order for us to do that, I really feel uh, that we need to really figure out what's, what's wrong. Why aren't we seeing that in our personal lives on an ongoing basis? I know we, we have testimonies and we, there's things that go on. People do get healed. But on an ongoing basis, why aren't we yet? And I believe it, what I'm going to talk about Elijah and where he is in, in chapter 18 really reflects who we are here in our nation today. So this is a very prophetic word, not just, just for ourselves personally or for our church, but for our nation. Because what Elijah is dealing with is what our nation is dealing with today. You know, above all else, God wants to have all of our hearts. Right? He wants to have all of us. He didn't send his son Jesus so he can just and die and give his life completely for you and I, only to receive part of your life. He wants it all. He wants all of our worship, all of our focus, all of our adoration. God wants to be the number one thing in our lives. And he deserves to be the number one person in our lives. Amen? And so if you, in fact, the very first Ten Commandments is this, that you shall have no other gods before me. You should have nothing. And Jesus himself was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. That we love him with everything. That is the greatest commandment. God wants everything. And, and what Satan does, and his main thing that he tries to do, is to get us distracted from doing that. Isn't that right? His whole heart is to get us distracted from making God the number one thing in our life. He wants to get our attention on so many other things that we lose sight of who God is and what we're supposed to be as a son and daughter of the king. And so we end up really a lot of times putting false gods in the place of the one true God. It's we become idol worshipers in a lot of ways. If I had asked you to raise your hand, if you really understood what I'm talking about, every one of us would raise our hand and say, have many of you have ever worshipped an idol in your life before? And most likely you have. In fact, our nation is filled with idol worship. I heard a preacher say this one time. You can write this down. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods only promise what the true God can give us. For example, how many guys believe money can be a, be a God to people? How many guys believe that, right? 
In fact, a lot of us, we might have had searched for that, and that became our, our focus at one time. It became really a worship in our lives. Money says that if you have enough of it or you have more of it, you're going to be happy and secure. But we all know money doesn't make you happy and it doesn't make you secure. Why? Because it can be here today and what? Gone tomorrow, right? Or it, it never really makes you happy because you never have enough and so you think you always want more. Money does promises happiness and security, but only God can give that. And if you're on your deathbed, guess what? Money doesn't matter. What matters? God and the people around you, right? That's what matters. So false God only promise of what a real God can give you, what God can truly give you. And so in the life of Elijah, we see this. Many people in this time, in chapter 18, are living idolatrous lives. They are worshiping false God and serving false gods. So God wanted to do very powerful things in the midst of Israel, but he couldn't. And the reason why is because they had idol worship. He couldn't do a work in their heart because they didn't recognize him. They didn't follow him. They didn't walk in him. And so God has Elijah, raises up Elijah to go confront a very evil king named King Ahab. King Ahab was the worst king that there was ever. And he says he's the worst of all of them. And he, he was married to a very evil woman named Jezebel. And they were the worst of the worst. In fact, Israel had 19 consecutive kings that were evil, and he was the worst of them. And so, Scripture says that, that they, they were doing very wicked and sinful things, but one of the most sinful things that they did was they were turning the hearts of the people to, away from God. Now, this is Israel. This is God's kingdom. And he's, they're turning the hearts of, the, of these people away from God unto another God, God, the God Baal and his wife, Asherus. They're false gods. Baal was the sun god, or he was the fire god, and Asherus was kind of Baal's wife. And the people no longer worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worshipped these false gods. These false gods promise, if you worship me, I'll make your crops grow. If you worship me... Uh, you'll have a better life. But false gods promise only what the true God can give. So God raises up Elijah who confronts the king and he basically says to King Ahab, because of your idolatry, God has sent me to tell you that it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray for rain in chapter 17. It's not going to rain. There's going to be a drought on the land. There's going to be a famine. And it was just, it was terrible. So here's this major drought. Tons of people are dying because of this drought. It's famine. It's the worst thing you can ever imagine. And King Ahab gets mad, and he wants Elijah dead. And he tells everybody, when you see him, kill him on the spot. So God takes Abraham, excuse me, Elijah, and he takes Elijah, and he moves him to a place called Kareth Ravine. Kareth means a place of cutting, a place of humbling. And so God takes him to a place to prepare him for even greater things. So he was humbling himself before the Lord. He was coming to the Lord and receiving his power, instruction, and learning from the Lord. And God fed him by the morning and evening with ravens that would bring bread and meat. And he was by a brook that he got his water. But one day the brook dried up, and God made him go move to Zarephath. And there was a widow he met. Remember this widow? She was coming out of her home because she only had a little bit of oil, a little bit of bread, and she was going to make 
one piece of bread for her, her and her son. And guess what she said? And then we'll die. One last meal. And here comes Elijah. She sees, he sees her. God tells him to go over to her. And she, he says, can you make me some bread? Now, how, how many, what, what would you guys do if someone did that? You only have enough for you and your son. And this, this prophet comes over to you and says, will you make me bread? And she, you know, her, her son and her are going to die right after this. But he said, the prophet said to her, if you do this, the oil will never run dry and you will never be left without flour. And all the days that he was with this, this widow, that, never, he, that oil never ran dry and he, she always had flour. And then one day, now God's preparing Elijah for something greater. We're about ready to get to it in verse chapter 18. Then one day her son dies. He takes her son up to the upper room and he calls out to God. God heal him, raise him from the dead, and the boy is raised from the dead. There's a preparation going on for something greater. The power of God is walking and moving in his life. And then now we come to chapter 18, verse 17. And here Elijah is going to confront King Ahab again. And it's been three years in the drought. And in, in chapter 18, verse 17, we see them together and it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? Now the Hebrew word for troubler means snake or viper. So really what Ahab was saying when he saw Elijah, you low down, good for nothing snake. That's what he was telling him. And Elijah wouldn't have anything of it. And so Elijah looked back and said, no, 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 king. I am not the trouble of Israel. You are the trouble of Israel. You are the one that has committed idolatry. You've allowed false gods to come in here. You are the one that is causing this to happen in your life. You and your father's family have done this. You've abandoned the Lord's command and you follow the bells and you've committed the sin of idolatry. So he is putting false God ahead of the true God. And Elijah was confronting the very popular idea that there were many gods. And so the thing about it is he, he confronted this. And there's two words I want you to get today. One is monotheism and the other one is polytheism. And monotheism is the belief that there's only one God. And that us as Christians, that's who we are. We are monotheistic. We believe there's only one God and there's only one way to heaven, and that is, that is through Jesus Christ. Amen? 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 But there is polytheistic, which means there are many gods. There's many beliefs. And polytheistic is a belief that you can get do whatever you want. There's many gods to serve. And this is what I want to point out here. And you'll see this in just a minute, even what was happening during Elijah's time. Here in, in the U.S., we have many believers, many believers, who say they are monotheistic. They believe in one God, but they live like they're polytheistic. They serve many gods. We serve many gods. Even though we believe only there's one God, but our lifestyle looks like that we worship many false gods. See, most people I know aren't worshiping the false god of Baal and Asherah. In reality, the, the false gods today are more socially acceptable, right? Like money. How many guys believe that people can serve money? That can be a god in their life. Or people can wor worship the false god of possessions. Or they can worship the false god of, of, 
of, of your, your, your job, of your career. You can worship the false god of a, a sports team. You can worship a false god of, of your hobby. I mean, oddly enough, you can actually worship your, your kids. So how on the earth can our children, which is very important, be worshipped? Well, this is, this is why. Anything you elevate in the place of God, in the rightful place of the one true God, anything you put on the throne of your life besides God, that is idolatry. And it is wrong. And it's sin. And God can't move inside that. He can't do anything. Because we believe the lie of the devil that we need to focus on something else but God. And when we do that, we're not focusing on God completely. We might get bits and pieces. We might be going to heaven, but we're focusing on something else. And we're going this direction. When God says, I want you to go this direction. And see, anything that's elevated above God, money, your career, your possessions, your image, even your kids... Even just yourself, called humanism, can be a God in your life. And God cannot move in that. That's why these are false gods. Anything you elevate. So some of the false gods in your life that you've elevated and you erected in, in place of God, we need to get out of our life. So Elijah the prophet, he steps into this polytheistic uh, culture, and he makes a very prophetic and very strong statement. This is why he is confronting them, because God wants to do very important things in their life, great things in your life. And I believe, really, one of the reasons why we are, don't see the move of God and the power of God in our lives here in the United States yet, we are going to, because I think ch things are changing, is because we are monotheistic in our beliefs but our lifestyles are polytheistic. We have many gods that we serve. And we've got to get it out of our lives. And so here comes Elijah. And he would say the same thing today. People, it's time to quit wavering. It's time to quit wavering. It's time to quit going back and forth. It's time to quit wavering from two opinions. It's time to quit going from the God of money and the God of material possessions and the God of your own thinking to, on Sundays, lifting up your hands and worship Yahweh, you know? We need to be doing this all the time. He is the only one. It doesn't mean you don't work. It doesn't mean you don't have money. It doesn't mean you don't hang out with your kids and do stuff with your kids. It doesn't mean any of that. But God is the one that leads it all. He is the one that's on the top shelf of your life. Nothing is above that. Your relationships, nothing else. It's Him. And that's where you're going to really find happiness. Because all these other things don't give you happiness. Only God does. Quit going back and forth. And so, so he says to the king in verse 19, he says, he says, King, now summon the people from all around Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah and who eat at Jezebel's table. That must have been a big table. Then verse 20, so Ahab sent word through all Israel and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. He, there's, there's, there's something going to happen here. Elijah is calling for a showdown. 
And verse 21, Elijah says, and he went before the people and he asked this piercing question. He asked, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? He says, if the Lord is your God, follow him. If Baal is your God, follow him. So if God is your God, if Jesus is your Lord, do it with all your heart. But if Baal is your God, follow him with all your heart. But stop wavering from two, both opinions going back and forth. And the people, people said nothing. They said nothing. They, they, didn't ask, they didn't say anything to that. Well, I'm going to follow Baal. I'm going to follow God. They just were silent. See, let me tell you something. What, what idol worship does in people's lives. It makes you numb to everything. You are numb spiritually. You are numb to everything. You don't have a voice. You don't have a heart to do nothing. And this is where these people are. How long will you waver between two opinions? And so he tells them, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you who the real God is. I want you to get two bulls. One for you, one for Baal, and one for me. And we're going to build an altar. We're going to put them on there. And we're going to cry out to our God. And whoever burns up these bulls by fire, that is the true God. That is the true God. And the people said, this is good. And here's what they're thinking when, when Elijah gets up and do that, does that. He tells them to stop wavering. And he gets up and, and, and says that. And he says, don't you guys know? I'm sure the people are thinking, doesn't he know that, that Baal is the sun god? Sun, there's fire in the sun. And so here is Elijah all alone. See, let me tell you something. Not only does the church need to stop wavering between two opinions in the United States. But we also have to be willing to stand alone, no matter what the world says, to stand on the word. If we're going to see the power of God, we've got to be able to stand up for what is right, no matter what, no matter what the, what the political system says, and no matter what the religious system says, we've got to stand on the word of God, amen? See, a lot of people find it easy to follow the crowd because it's, it's, they, they say things they, you want to hear. You follow something, but only the true God can provide you the real thing. They were t looking at, at, at Elijah and says, are you stupid? But he stood up there alone. In verse 22, Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. It was 1 to 450. It was actually one to a whole nation. But he stood up himself. He stood up himself. Let me tell you something. 450 people is not enough if you don't have God. One is enough if you're on God's side. One is enough. You must be willing to stand alone to see God move. No matter what. No matter what the crowd says. No matter what, what other people says. Well, that's just weird. That's just stupid. That's not No, no. Why are you laying hands on the sick? Because my God tells me to. What if they don't get healed? It doesn't say that in the Bible. It says lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. But what if they don't get healed? It doesn't matter. I obey God. That's all I'm here to do. 
We stand up. We stop wavering. See, if you're going to waver, you're not going to stand alone. You're going to follow the crowd. And you're going to be led by the crowd. And they're going to give you nothing because they're going to leave you at a moment. Look who left Jesus and who crucified Jesus. The crowd. Our own Savior stood alone. We have to be, if we're going to see the move of God that we want to see in our church, in our life, in our church, in our nation, we've got to stop wavering from two opinions and follow God fully and, and unashamedly and just with all of our heart. And we've got to be willing to stand up alone. Third, if you want to witness the power of God, you must rebuild the altars that are broken down. Look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come over here. Now this was after all of Baal's prophets, 450 of them, were dancing around yelling at their God. They were, they were even you know, doing whatever it took. They're trying to get their God's attention. And so they're, they're, they're jumping up and down. They're yelling. They're even cutting themselves to try to get their, their, their God's attention. And I love Elijah because this is, this is what Elijah says. Obe- they said, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. In spite of all their efforts, nothing happened. And at noon, it says, Elijah began to taunt them. I really like him. He's a lot like me. And, um, or I'm a lot like him. But verse 27 says this. And, it, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping. And it must be awkward. You know the word busy in the... Uh, Hebrew really means that word would be translated that he is on the toilet. <laughs> Don't bother your God because he's, he's having a moment, you know, or a movement. Anyway, and so here Elijah, after all this was going on from morning to noon, nothing happened. Well, you know why nothing happened, because there is no other God besides ours. And so here, Elijah calls attention to the people, verse 30. And said to all the people, come near to me. So the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That just tells us how far away from God the children of Israel have come. That the altar that was built for God was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the, so, twelve, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sets of seeds. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. So he begins to rebuild an altar that was broken down. See, when you allow idols to come into your life, it tears the altar of the Lord down. You are not taking care of the altar. How many know if you don't take care of something, it crumbles, right? It gets in disrepair. When you do that, your altar with the Lord just starts to disintegrate. I had, had somebody come to me one time. This, this guy was in our church. He, um, 
he knew the Lord. He was passionate about Jesus. He witnessed. Family loved Jesus. I mean, he was prophesying. He was writing. He had words from the Lord. He could teach the word. But all of a sudden, he started to get busy. Busier and busier and busier, especially with work. And, of course, with all the other stuff that makes, makes families busy today, kids and everything, and, and just life. But he allowed it to take, become an idol in his life. That means he neglected God because he was busy over here. Comes to me, life's a mess now. Because remember, idols promise something only God can give. So they lie to you, idols lie to you, and give you the opposite of what you're looking for. If you're looking for happiness, you'll find sadness in idols. If you're looking for abundance, you'll find lack. And this is what this person did. So he comes to me, he wants counsel, and I, of course, gave him counsel and talked to him and trying to help him. But he made this statement that just really shocked me because I knew this guy. He says, Sean, I don't even know how to pray anymore. The altar of his life crumbled. The time here in Israel, they, didn't, they started to not even know who God was. God is calling us as his people to live a no compromise life. To be wholly separated and devoted to him. This is a time to repair the altars, to restore that sacred time. The altar of your life is the time that you spent with God. It's sacred. It's a sacred place of unhindered fellowship of the Lord. See, the purpose of idols and other gods is to get your attention. It's to get your time, your devotion, your resources away from God and place it on other things. Your altar represents your devotion towards God. and It represents your love for God, your your hope in God. It represents your life that's laid out as a sacrifice on the altar of the Lord. That saying, Lord, I fully belong to you. There is nothing else I want but you. It represents your times of worship, not just on a Sunday, but every single day. Your life is spent in this altar. Your life becomes worshipped and sacrificed to the Lord because you have built the altar of your life. If you want to see the power of God move in your family, if you want to see the power of God move in your life, you've got to build the altar of your life. And, and how you do that is dedicate your life back into Him, fall on your knees in your prayer room and say, God, I need you again. I've always needed you, but I've lost you. I've got, and repent, quit wavering. Stand alone if you have to. No matter if anybody else doesn't go into that prayer room, you're going to go into that prayer room. You're going to go into that closet. You're going to go on your, in your bedroom. Whatever it is, if it's your bathroom, it doesn't matter. But you're going to go. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. No matter what. No matter if people are making fun of you. No matter what happens. Because you have to build the altar of the Lord. You have to build that relationship with God. It's not enough to live as a Christian on Sunday and live like you want every, all the rest of the week and never ever talk to him unless you're in trouble. He wants a relationship. He desires that passion. And listen, you are far better with it. 
We believe the lie. If I do this, I miss out on all this. No, if you do all this, you miss out on all of this. Amen. We've got to rebuild the altar of the Lord. And then fourth, if you want to be a witness, if you want to witness the power of God, you must have faith that God hears and answers prayers. Elijah went on to say in the latter part of the verse 33, he says, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice of wood. And then he says, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and it also filled the trench with water. You know, this water wasn't necessary, but he wanted to make sure they understood that there was no trickery involved. If it's going to happen, God's going to do it. He's going to do the impossible. Amen? He had faith for that. But let me tell you something about, about Elijah. He didn't, that faith just, just didn't just rise up. He wasn't wavering. He was willing to stand alone. He built an altar at Kareth Raven. He developed himself as a man of faith in prayer and in worship. And God used him to change a nation. God used him to see a miraculous thing happen. And I want you to know something here as he prays. He doesn't do it like the prophets of Baal, where they're jumping around and doing everything they can to try to get their God's attention and get them out of the bathroom. Right? What does he do? Because that's all works. See, us as believers, we don't have to do that. Men of, and women of faith, you know what we do? We allow him to be God. And we be obedient in our prayers. Look what he did. He says, And it came to pass at the time of offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this, pe that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. There was no frenzy. There was no jumping up and down. There was no, you know, getting angry or, or doing flips. There was no cutting themselves. He just prayed. Because God is going to be God. Isaiah makes a profound statement in Isaiah 65, verse 24. It says, it shall come to pass that before they call, before they pray, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Elijah spent that time at Kareth Raven being trained, humbling himself. That was his altar. That was his time of developing his life. See, if we want to see the power of God, we've got to stop wavering from two opinions. We've got to make God our Lord and Savior completely and fully and follow Him radically. We've got to be willing to stand alone. We've got to rebuild these altars in our lives. And we've got to pray. We've got to worship. We've got to read His Word and study and search Scriptures and go after God in, in, in His presence and never leave His presence. And then we're going to rise up as men and women of faith and God's going to be able to use us 
to see our nation change. How many guys would agree with that? Come on, give him praise. Amen. Elijah prayed, and in verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell down and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. I love that. And now all the people saw it, fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I can't remember, so verse came in my mind, it's not in my notes, but I think it's in, in either Acts or 1 Corinthians, someone can tell me later, but that the earth itself is waiting for the men and women of God to rise up. Basically what it says. See, God is waiting for you and I to be his kids fully and rise up and see his power come in us to change us and to move out of us. I want to be that one. I want to be that one. If no one else follows, I'm going to be that one. I'm going to be that person. Amen? I want to be that person that rises up and says, God, no matter what, no matter if people yell at me, no matter if people call me names, no matter what it is, no matter what's going to go on, I'm going to be that one. But I'm going to do the work. I'm going to get the idols out of my life. I'm going to be able to stand when no one else stands. I'm going to rebuild the temple. I'm going to rebuild these altars in my life. And I'm going to go after you, God, with all my heart. And that faith, is, because of all that, is going to rise up within me. And I'm going to speak the word with boldness. I'm going to speak the truth with boldness, just like Jesus did. He never wondered in his mind, God, are you going to do that? He knew. And that's what he expects from us. And that's what our nation needs. Our nation, we, we, just don't, we don't need just to pray that the people who are lost will stop being lost. We need to pray that the laborers will be who God's called them to be. And go out and do what God's called us to do. No matter how old you are or how young you are, God has something for you. I want you to bow your heads close your eyes. I want you to ask the Lord right now. What are the false idols in my life? What are the idols that I've placed above you, God? Allow the Holy Spirit to say that. Maybe you've been chasing a job, chasing money. What are idols in your life? I mean, I want you to think about the stuff in your life. And one way to judge this, to test this, if anything pops in your mind and and you think you have to stop it and you get angry? Or you feel no? I mean, there's, there's something inside that just kind of gets you, gets you moving a little bit in a wrong direction. That It hurts you to do that. That's possibly an idol in your life. We all probably have some. And we need to get them out. Mine for years was my identity. I've always, just, I've always been successful. And I've always had the fear of failure. That was an idol in my life. God made me a success not because of what I've done or, or who I am, 
He made me a success through Jesus. I had to get that out of my life. So what's your idol? What is it? So Father, I just pray right now that you show us, God, what's our idol. God, we ask that you would pierce us with that question and that we would be humbled and in the spirit of repentance we would dethrone all the idols that are standing in the place of where you want to be. And so Father God, if we've been wavering in any way, God, show us because I know all of us in here in some way or another want to be pleasing to you. And we don't want anything that's going to stop what you want to do in our lives and through our lives. So, Father, we repent right now in Jesus' name. We repent of these idols. And, Father, I thank you that you would come into us right now and that we would take the steps, as you show us, to rebuild the altar of our life where we can be passionately in love with you.